0: This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, October 27th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, town council removes cap on short-term rentals, eyes to ears with Bella Eatman, Dia de los Muertos turns up the heat, and a mountain weather forecast. Telluride is lifting its cap on short-term rentals and placing additional fees on STR licenses. In 2021, Telluride voters passed ballot measure 2D – The initiative doubled the fees on short-term rental business licenses and placed a two-year moratorium on issuing new licenses so the town could study the impact of short-term rentals in the community. After months of data analysis and input from the public, Telluride Town Council voted on second reading at a meeting on Tuesday to let 2D sunset and implement a number of new regulations and fees on short-term rentals. Under the new regulations, there will be three categories of STR licenses. Here's Telluride Town Clerk Tiffany Cavanaugh. A classic license, which would be defined as a
1: short-term rental license that does not have any limitations on the nightly rentals per year, could be um, in any zone district except for uh, residential because that does have restrictions in the zone. So for that classic license, The new fees on that would be $165 going back to um, pre-2D. So we're looking at it that 2D is expiring November 2nd at midnight, plus $22 per sleeping room, plus $288 for an admin fee, and then $857 per bedroom for a regulatory fee.
0: A residential STR license limits the number of rental nights per year.
1: No more than three short-term rentals and no more than Uh, three long-term rentals per year. The cost of that license beginning in 2024 would be half the cost of the classic, plus the $288 admin fee, and then no regulatory fee. Finally, a limited STR license. And this would be available to anyone um, in any zone district that does not intend to rent any more than 29 nights per year if someone were to apply for the limited license and then go over that 29 nights per year limit, they would be required then to apply for the classic license and pay the additional fees. So the cost of that license is being proposed at half the cost of the
0: classic, plus the admin fee and no regulatory fee. The new regulations also have a lodging establishment business license fee at $66 per sleeping room, There are also midterm and long-term rental licenses. There are no fees associated to those licenses and are merely for data collection. The new regulations also require two affidavits, one for the limited license to demonstrate compliance with the night limit, and a self-inspection checklist to certify the rental has basic features and safety equipment. The final addition to the regulation limits the number of STR licenses any one person or entity is allowed to own to two. The regulation will grandfather in anyone who already owns more than two. During public comment, the community remained split on the issue of the regulatory fee. Lee Zeller thinks it places extra burden on short-term rentals.
2: If we are all in this together... Then stop adding more and more on the backs of SDRs and second homeowners who have no say in any of this. Spread it out. I'm surprised, Chuck, that more industries don't come up here and offer to pay more for affordable housing when our industry is the biggest and largest contributor to affordable housing funding. Yet we are targeted as the people who are against it. I don't get it. Julia Fallman believes the regulatory fee is a
0: drop in the bucket. She and her wife live in town and short-term rent while traveling.
1: Even as a full-time resident, it would take me only one four-day rental of our small one-bedroom apartment to cover the cost of this regulatory fee. There is so much money being made here, and this is such a small price to pay to be able to profit off this community. As full-time residents, we will make more than $30,000 this year renting our house. We benefit so much from renting our house, and it allows us to pay our mortgage as first-time homeowners. This is a drop in the bucket that we will be proud to pay. I just have to say, I think the drama here is ridiculous. We all have the opportunity to make a lot of money, and this is the price I think we need to pay. I think it's fair.
0: Council's votes from the first reading followed into the second, with council members Lars Carlson and Jesse Ray Arguez against. Here's Arguez. I am with 100% in favor of the importance of affordable housing and employee housing and, and that in order to have a vibrant community here, that needs to be a priority. I feel like this one industry has been taxed and fined and feed to a degree that is insulting if I were in that industry. And so I remain convicted in that I do not agree with the regulatory fee Council members Me and Fee, Adrian Christie, Dan Enright, and Geneva Shaunette are in
3: support of the fee. Here's Shaunette. You've heard a lot about fairness today, and we're talking about a symptom of class division here of what we have, why we have this affordable housing issue. We have people who have a lot of money and people who do not have a lot of money, and I find it really frustrating that people in the top one percent of income and asset accumulation in our town are demanding and and. Saying that this is unfair when their revenue has gone overall for the industry from about a million dollars in 2019 to 1.7 million dollars in 2022. Sorry, that's the taxes we collected. I don't think it's fair that lifties and baristas and childcare workers and teachers in our community are living with housing insecurity. And I also don't think it's fair that our higher income earners. Of our workforce, like doctors, management level business people, and nonprofit staff, have just as hard a time finding a solid place to rent or own.
0: In a 4 2 vote, council passed new regulations on short term rentals on second reading. The cap on short term rental licenses will sunset on November 2nd. The town of Telluride will begin accepting new short term rental license applications on November 3rd. This week on Eyes to Ears, Telegride High School's Bella Eatman is heading back to the origins with the painted canvas. Have a listen.
2: Good evening, and welcome to Kodo's Eyes to Ears. I am your host, Bella Eatman, and I visit local art galleries to find art pieces to describe to you. And today, we go back to the classic way of things, where I describe an abstract painting to the dear listeners that I witnessed in the Telluride Arts District. This painting being the Hydrochroma S1-2 version by John Sabra, A circle of color, shape, shade, and light are encased in a square canvas. As if the subject were in a crystal ball or in a hole in the world to behold something still and unusual. Strangely enough, it isn't too unusual to let you not notice the colors and textures of wood. It was as if you were staring at a topography map, made from boards of wood, with their unusual shapes in the grain being far more ubiquitous. The wooden hue ranged from bronze to gold in a way that made it seem as though the material were shimmering. It reminds me now of armor, perhaps for mighty gods or even heroes. And between each piece of wood, every strange shape, lies a gap filled by blues, indigos, greens, and turquoises, in a cohesive gradation across the circle. However... The greatest gap there was is the chasm of cold hues that cuts through the map unevenly enough to strangely resemble a flowing, shiny, iridescent ribbon. A little after I entered the Telluride Arts District, a couple walked in behind me. A piano was just to the right of us, and one of the two decided to play a few songs during their visit. Part of the notes that I took for writing this script, I believe, were fueled by the musical passion that sung out from behind me. As if their live performance of practice, creativity, and artistic ability helped me think of a few key components of the script. Such as the iridescent ribbon, and the gold and bronze wood. I appreciate their presence during my visit just as I hoped you enjoyed your stay on this Kodo station. This is Eyes to Ears signing off. My name is Bella Eatman, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.
0: Spooky season, but things can also get hot and spicy with local author Aggie Unda Thames' new romance novel, Mariana, part of the Latin Lovers book series. KOTO News spoke with Unda Thames about the new book. Aggie, thank you so much for being here. I am thrilled to have your book physically in my hands. This is the second book in the Latin Lovers series, but the first book of Mariana herself. Can you share a little bit about
4: what this book is? Mariana has been in my mind since even before I wrote Sweet and Spicy, which was my first book. So it has just been the characters have been living inside of me and uh, coming to life. It means a lot because it has so many elements that excite me. It's a Day of the Dead. It is now a dark romance, which um, is a little bit of a, a tangent from the contemporary romance from Sweet and Spicy. So it has a lot darker themes and spicier scenes. For folks who maybe aren't romance,
0: isn't the genre that they typically dive into. Why should they pick up this book?
4: It really covers a women's journey. Mariana is not in a good place. We can see that in very tiny bits and pieces from the previous book in Sweet and Spicy that we introduce a character for the first time. Um, she's not in a good place. She has been in a very dark place for several years, um, completely heartbroken, and it shattered her. And she has alcohol issues. So her, her life... Is very dark right now, with alcoholism, with uh, self worth, um, and not believing in in anything positive, really. So, not only it has the romance element, but it is a woman's journey. It touches on a lot of culture, which it's not in, in her journey, but it it has a lot of bits and pieces that make the book a lot richer. And it has a lot of suspense and thrill.
0: What is it that draws you to writing romance? You also, you're a, a prolific writer in other genres as well. What is it that um, you really enjoy about this genre of writing?
4: Romance is a part of human beings. Um, for some, it might be the main uh, like motor engine or thing that drives you. For others, it may not. But it is an element that exists um, in our lives. So I like to, to tap into uh, that element, which is in a part um, something that sometimes can break us, like in the case of Mariana. Um, but at the same time, it can uh, just make us unstoppable.
0: Was there a part of writing this book that you just either a character or a scene or a whole plot line that was just like so juicy, you couldn't put your pen down or I'm assuming probably more keyboard (laughs) um, that just like you were so excited about seeing it go through?
4: Oh, yes. Many of them. I mean, um, there is there is a scene where she puts on her Katrina makeup And it was just so, so beautiful because I had seen images of what I wanted to recreate or bits and pieces from other makeups and just um, how it flowed while I was writing it. I couldn't go fast enough because I I didn't want to lose what I was seeing or thinking. Uh, And of course, when I reread it, it pretty much made (laughs) no sense. But that's what editing
0: is for. Aggie, thank you so much for coming in and and sharing your new book with us. And we're excited to see what you have coming up next. Thank you so
4: much for having me again.
0: That was author Aggie Unda Thames speaking about her new book, Mariana. The book is available on Amazon and on her website, AggieUnda.com. Calling All Artists the Telluride Arts District's small grant application is officially open. Grants range from $300 to $2,000 and can support projects or professional development. Whether you're a writer, performer, sculptor, painter, candlestick maker, or something in between, the small grants could help you get that creativity out and into the world. Applications are due by December 15th. This year, the Telluride Arts District is once again providing augment grants as well. Augment is a local nonprofit looking to foster and support the music culture of the greater Telluride region. Augment grants reach up to $2,000. They are earmarked for musicians and can be used for anything from a new album project or music video to attending a music camp to help develop skills. Applications for both the Small Artist Grants and the Augment Grant are available at telluridearts.org. On October 31st, a jack-o'-lantern is a spooky, whimsical, or heartwarming staple of Halloween. But on November 1st, that jack-o'-lantern may very well have turned into a pumpkin and needs to go. The towns of Mountain Village and Telluride and San Miguel County are coordinating to offer free pumpkin composting this year. The program will also allow other household waste, including yard waste, garden clippings, and kitchen food scraps. Restaurants and businesses are also encouraged to participate. Pumpkins must be free of candles, paint, glitter stickers, or any other non-compostable elements. The compost program will run from October 30th through November 30th or until containers are full. Compost Drop will take place at the Gondola Parking Garage in Mountain Village behind the Village Market. A full list of compostable materials is available at bit.ly mvpumpkincomposting. The Grand Mesa and Compagre and Gunnison National Forests is looking to study the amount of outdoor recreation that takes place on the forests. The GMUG announced this week it will be working with the National Visitor Use Monitoring Program on a five-year study. The NVUM survey began in October and will run through September 2024. According to the GMUG, the NVUM program has two main objectives, providing accurate estimates on the number of visits to national forests and grasslands, and providing descriptions on the type of visits, activities, demographics, duration, satisfaction, and trip expenses. GMUG officials say the information will be used for forest planning and management on the local, regional, and national levels. NVUM employees will be stationed at developed and dispersed recreation sites and along roads. The survey will cover topics such as where the recreator visited in the forest, how many people are in the group, how long they stayed, and if they were satisfied with the facilities. The survey is anonymous and voluntary and will take approximately 10 minutes. Former president of the Navajo Nation Jonathan Nez has announced he's running for Congress in Arizona's 2nd District. Chris Clements of KSJD reports for Rocky Mountain Community Radio.
5: The seat is currently held by freshman Republican Eli Crane, who joined with a group of far-right defectors to oust former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy earlier this month. The 2nd Congressional District is also home to 14 of Arizona's 22 federally recognized tribes. Nez, a Democrat, would be the first Native American representative from Arizona in Congress.
6: I think what really solidified the decision was the. Dysfunction, if you want to call it that, in in Washington, D.C., every time you turn on the the television, you see uh, the division uh, there in Congress, especially with the ouster of the Speaker and we don't even have a functioning in Congress right now.
5: Nez says it will likely be a tough race. The district has 30,000 more Republican voters registered than Democrats. He says he plans on focusing on issues that matter to everyday Arizonans, like inflation and lowering the cost of childcare. For KSJD, I'm Chris Clements.
0: Across the Southwest, the amount it costs to have water piped into your home is likely going up. City utilities have to replace infrastructure that's getting old and invest in new systems that'll help them survive a drier future. KUNC's Alex Hager has more.
5: There's an excavator digging up the asphalt and a crew in neon vests loading bright blue PVC pipes into the ground. Jimmy Luthie, a spokesman for Denver Water, is watching them replace a 77-year-old water main with a new one. He says the agency is replacing miles of pipe to prevent future breaks. That's really the goal, is to to get out and be proactive and upgrade the system as much as we can. He says Denver Water has planned nearly $2 billion in upgrades over the next decade. We plan so far out because we're we're not just trying to deliver water for the next few years. We want to be able to continue 50, 100, far into the future. All the expensive work, Luthie says, is worth it. But it does mean water users will see gradual increases to their bills. In Denver, the average monthly bill will only go up a couple dollars a year. But those rising costs are part of a larger trend that's happening all across the Southwest, where cities that boomed after World War II are finally seeing their water systems get old.
0: All of this is very expensive infrastructure. It's concrete, it's iron, it's
5: steel. Katherine Sorensen is the former director of Phoenix Water.
0: It needs to be replaced, and the cost of all those materials, the cost of labor, the cost of doing construction have all gone up.
5: Sorensen is now a researcher at Arizona State University. She says replacing old water systems is the main driver of price increases. But with shrinking supplies in the Colorado River, cities are also putting big money into new systems.
0: They will try to lessen their dependence on Colorado River water or, or make that the Colorado River water they do have go further. And that means investments in alternatives that are far more expensive.
5: That kind of forward thinking is on display in Castle Rock, Colorado, where underground aquifers are drying up. And Water Director Mark Marlow is trying to get ahead of the problem. His department has already spent more than $200 million on securing more water, including new filtration equipment.
4: That is a a cost to doing advanced treatment and providing that really high quality water supply. But... For us, given the water supplies we're treating, it's absolutely imperative that we have this technology.
5: Castle Rock, a fast-growing suburb between Denver and Colorado Springs, has installed extra sets of rigorous filters that will allow them to cycle water through their system over and over, getting at least three extra uses out of each drop and stretching out finite supplies. Marlow is standing under huge metal tanks that hold carbon purifiers as he explains how his city's big spending can also be stretched out.
6: Bottom line is you've got this
4: long-term capital plan and you're making sure you're spreading those costs out over a reasonable period of time so folks can afford it.
5: Castle Rock has already modeled out water rates through the year 2065. But not every city has the capacity to plan like that, or even upgrade its water system at all. Even in an age with billions of dollars in federal spending set aside just for water utilities, small cities and towns might not have the time or expertise to apply for it. If your water utility staff is three guys in a pickup truck, there's nobody that has time to fill out those forms. They're, they're busy just trying to keep the system running. Manny Teodoro is a professor of public affairs at the University of Wisconsin. He says smaller, more rural communities, the ones that need the most help to begin with, are the least likely to get it. I think this federal funding can do a lot of good, but it's certainly nothing close to a solution for the long-term problems. And those problems will be long-term. How each city responds, that will make the difference that shows up on your water bill. I'm Alex Hager.
0: The National Weather Service forecast for the Western San Juans calls for rain and snow showers tonight with a low around freezing. Little to no snow accumulation is expected. Saturday, there's an 80% chance of rain and snow showers, with a high in the mid-40s and no snow accumulation. Saturday night, expect snow, with a low around 30 degrees. One to two inches of snow accumulation is possible. Sunday calls for snow showers, with a high in the mid-30s and a low around 15 degrees. This has been the news for Friday, October 27th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, Call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, personal commentaries.
6: This is Teddy Errico, and I'm running for mayor of the town of Telluride. I'm reminding everyone to get out and vote. I need your support so I can lead Telluride into the future. With transparency of government to you, the local, engaging the people, empowering the youth, unify our community, and collaborate with the other governments and largest employers. We just need to have a goal to be better. And most important, we need to act now on housing, the med center, wastewater treatment plant, the gondola, and work hard to mend this community. We are only as strong as our weakest local, and I can help us act now. It's our town and our future. Let me be your mayor. Vote for Teddy. For more on me, visit www.teddyfortown.com.
1: Attention families with children aged zero to five.
0: Please join Wilkinson Public Library and Bright Futures on Thursday, November 2nd, for a free parenting workshop, Play and Read. Play and Read will be presented by Emily Bordogna, District Literacy Coordinator for Telluride School District. The workshop will take place from 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. and dinner and child care will be provided. We hope to see you at the library.